Bienvenidos a Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that gets me in a very curious state of mind. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Sarah Ruan, herpetologist out at Rutgers University. Today, she blows my mind. We're going to talk about all things snakes, genuses, species, invasive species, non-invasive species, big snakes, little snakes, poisonous snakes, what to do if you find a snake, all the different types of snakes, how the snakes work. You gotta listen to this episode. It's major. I'm so excited about it. Take a listen. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I'm so excited to welcome to the studio Dr. Sarah Ruan. Welcome. Welcome to you too, Jonathan, for being here to talk to me about snakes. Okay, well, here's the thing. Yeah. My entire life, my first full sentence was, I don't like snakes. Ah. I've been scared of snakes my whole life. Like, so really the question that I'm here to ask you about is, should we be scared of snakes? Absolutely not. So then my second question is, what is the fucking deal with them? (laughs) What is going on? Did they, first of all, you know, in the Christian faith, I feel like I learned very early that that snake gave Eve the apple honey and the snakes used to have legs and God took them away. That is in the Bible, isn't it? It it is. So I was raised as a Catholic. And so I am familiar with the hatred of snakes that is thrust upon us in the Christian religion. Um, But you know what? I got to tell you. Snakes are just a very fancy kind of lizard. And so if you can handle lizards, snakes are not really any different. So did snakes used to have legs? Absolutely, because they're a fancy kind of lizard. And there's a lot of lizards, actually, that don't have legs that are not snakes. Okay, wait. Because also, too, I was thinking about this this morning. The joke, if if the joke of God taking snakes' legs away is that they were never supposed to be in high places, and that's why he took their legs away, the joke's on him because a lot of snakes <laughs> climb trees. Absolutely. Snakes can be pretty much anywhere except extreme cold. So worldwide, you have snakes that live in salt water in the oceans. You have snakes that are up in trees. You have snakes that are just generally terrestrial on the ground. You have snakes that live underground and are hardly ever seen because they're burrowing and they're not really on the surface surface at all. So snakes can be really pretty much anywhere. What's the last new snake we discovered? Ooh, so there was a snake just, I just had it on my Twitter yesterday. There's a new species um, of a vine snake, so snakes up in trees. I don't know whether this is, you know, from a scientific standpoint of order, but the first, the, the most recent one that I know of is this thing called a uh, vine snake from Southeast Asia. This is a genus called a hetula. And these snakes are crazy because they actually have um, horizontal pupils that give them binocular vision, which this group of snakes, there's, I don't know, maybe 10 of them. They're the only snakes that have that kind of uh, pupil going on. What does that enable them to do? So it gives them this. So, you know, the way we see things in front of us is called binocular vision. And a lot of animals have their eyes more on the sides of their heads. And so they're not seeing directly in front of them. They're getting more of the periphery and some of the in front of them. This gives these snakes, which are super visual hunters, the ability to see just like us, essentially. Oh. Yeah. And they're, they're up in the trees. There's actually one species of these guys that hangs over the edge. They're in a bush or in a tree, low branches, hanging over water and they grab fish and yank them out of the water to eat them. Wow. I need to see a video for this. There's videos online of it for sure. You can Google it up. So, but, so you, wait, so do you want me to call you Dr. Ruan or Sarah? No, just call me, please call me Sarah. Okay, Sarah. Yeah. So you were minding your own business from 
you were born. I was born. I was born in northeastern Pennsylvania. Northeastern Pennsylvania. Yep. And then when did you realize you wanted to study snakes? So, and, but you're, but you're also you're a you're 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 a you're a, you're an assistant professor at Rutgers, which yep. is like a that's like a really good school. I feel like ah. Rutgers is like one of the really good ones. She's like a very smart school. But you're but you're a doctor, so you finish. You're a doctor. I am you a have, doctor. In your title, <laughs> yes, yeah, full title. Um, but herpetology is really the study of amphibians and reptiles. That's true. So I am a herpetologist. I know more than average about amphibians as well as reptiles, but I really do specialize in snakes. That's You're a my snake girl. I'm a real snake girl. You could absolutely call me that. So and when I would did be you happy. know that you wanted to to study them? So I can think back to being, I'm going to say three, four, five years old and being really wild about being outside and putting things in jars, bugs, worms, any any kind of thing that was grabbable. Um, <laughs> I love to put it in a jar and look at it. And the one thing I did every single weekend as part of my Catholic upbringing was I would spend the night on Saturday night at my grandma's house, my grandma and grandpa. And then Sunday morning, I'd go to church with them, and we'd come back from church, and I would change my clothes. We would grab their dog, and we'd go out for a hike in the woods. And they knew all sorts of places because they grew up in that area. My grandfather grew up on a farm, and it's like drive down a highway and pull over on the side of the road, and then you just march into the woods, and there's some path there. And so I would do this every Sunday with them. And my grandmother, not my grandfather, was very encouraging about things like, hey, let's flip this rock over and see what's underneath it. And so that was very exciting. You never knew what you were going to find, salamanders, frogs. There's not really any lizards around there, but occasionally a snake. And in retrospect, I don't think my grandparents would have known a venomous snake from not, but we never encountered anything bad. And I would just grab these things and bring them home. And one summer I had like a miniature zoo set up in my grandmother's yard where I was charging people in the neighborhood, you know, a dollar to come and look at these oh things. Oh my God, I, I love caught. that. Yeah. I had like a mini traveling spa. Yeah. And you had like oh a, like, I love that. I would love a mini traveling spa too, though. We were breaking our gender norms. Because <laughs> we really, exactly. really what it made, what I think is great is that, is there, is there tons of female herpetologists? You know, there are a decent number growing, but it's definitely been a very male-dominated field. And particularly when you get into snakes, it tends to still be slightly more men than women. If I had to put – I don't have numbers, and I'm sure some of the societies I belong to could give you numbers. But it's definitely not, for snakes, going to be the majority women. It tends to be a lot more men. Do you feel like science – um, like the sciences in general. I mean, this is kind of blankety, but do you feel yeah. like it's becoming more accept or more accepting sure. or geared towards women? For sure. I think there's a lot going on that is now about recognizing the fact that women and minorities and people who haven't necessarily had the same opportunities in science, that something needs to be done to sort of help them out, make sure that they're being recognized. And so that's been, I think, on everyone's mind a lot in the last 10 to 15 years. And I can say, at least from my perspective, I've never personally felt like I've been held back because of my gender. But I know that's not going to be the case for everybody. And that, you know, you've got to be cognizant of these things. And if there's anything you can do to improve it, you know, we should. Love. Great. So, um, 
snakes. Yes. Where is like the biggest battleground kind of hot spots for snakes coming in contact with people? Ah. Like where we need anti-venom. Like where's that going on? So, so one of the things I'm working on right now is I'm writing a grant that deals with venomous snakes, which is not my my general area of expertise necessarily. And so in prepping for this grant, I've been doing a lot of reading about snake bite statistics in general. And so the places, I would say India, number one, is the place where people come into contact with a lot of venomous snakes and unfortunately get bit by a lot of them. Is it the cobras? It's really, so you might think it's cobras. The mambas. It's not, mambas are in Africa. So they're not. Who is it? Who's killing the people in India? It's it's one of the, well, cobras are part of it, right? So cobras do come into contact with people and bite them. Which is like a hood snake. They have the little, the little hood. Jesus Christ. What what, what kind of snake is a cobra? So a cobra is something called an. A pit viper. Shut up, Jonathan. So you're set. You're you're yelling out a lot of terms. I'm going to mention. So they're almost right, but not in the order you're saying. Them. Correct. So cobras are elapids. Elapids are a group of venomous snakes that have what we would call fixed front fangs. So their front fangs don't fold up into their mouth. So they're not very large. They're short, um, and the venom from cobras tends to be something called neurotoxic, which means it shuts down your nervous system. So lipid. These are lipids. Who are these snakes again? Alapids. Alapids. I'm like... Alapids. Yeah, alapids. Cobras cobras are alapids. Mambas are alapids. Coral snakes are alapids. We we have coral snakes in the southern United States. That's red touch yellow. Friend... No. Killifel. Killifel, yes. So coral snakes are alapids. Yes. And an alapids... Things are what again? They're fixed. They can't move them back and forth. They're not on a hinge. They're just like our teeth, right? They don't move around. So a cobra's mouth, the the fangs are just already like they're just already yep. They're erect. And so then it would just go. Yeah, it would just open its mouth and bite down. But then things like pit vipers that you mentioned, or vipers in general, which includes things like rattlesnakes and the Russell's viper, which is the big biter in India. Oh, oh, so, ah. the, so the pit viper, so the one that's causing the most bites in I, the, India? I think causing the most bites is these pit vipers called Russell's vipers. Russell's yeah. vipers? Yeah, because people are out working in a lot of agricultural areas and perhaps not wearing necessarily long, heavy pants. It's hot out. You might not even have shoes on. And so these snakes aren't out looking to bite people, but you're in a place that's good for hanging out because think about you're working out in a rice field. It's full of rats or mice, the best thing for a snake to eat. And so you're accidentally stepping on them. Right. And, and it just reactively. And it just reactively bites, right? The snakes, I can tell you, I've caught thousands of snakes, and no snake has ever approached me to bite me. They are just trying to hightail it out of there. So, okay, we're going to come back to that because, yes. So, okay, wait. So, a lapid. Yes, and back then, to a lapid. And then pit vipers are another type. So, they're another kind of, they're another group of snakes. They fall under, so there's pit vipers and true vipers. They're in the same group called vipers. True vipers don't have pits. Those pits sense heat. Are those a heat seeking? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely what they are. So, those guys all have these fangs that can be fairly gigantic because they fold them up into the roof of their mouth. So when their mouth is closed, they don't have to worry about their fangs puncturing through the bottom of their mouth. They just fold those bad boys up there. And then when it's time for biting, they erect them out and slam and those them are in. vipers. Yep. And the only yep. difference between a viper and a pit viper is pit vipers have the heat-seeking Absolutely. One. So what's an example of a viper? So an example of a viper would be in England, you have this group of vipers called European adders. And, and they're poisonous? They're venomous, yeah. Really venomous or just like... No, there's like... You know, just because a snake has venom and can inject it into you does not mean you're going to die. 
It might mean you should go to the hospital and get it checked out. Or it might mean you need to go to the hospital and get some serious anti-venom going on. Yeah, absolutely. What do you need to for a European Adler? Probably not. But you probably should. should You You should go to the hospital. You should go to the hospital. If you get bit by a snake, you have any reason to suspect it's venomous, the best thing you can do is go to the hospital. So there's a lapids, pit vipers, vipers. Is there another kind? So then we get into some kind of interesting things where things are not necessarily following a set path. What are anacondas? Anacondas are big constrictors. Oh, yeah, constrictors. <laughs> yes, constrictors. Constrictors are, are another group of snakes. Constri- Is there a venomous constrictor? Nope. Oh, no. well, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Let's back. So, I, I don't want to get super technical about it. I know. And, I'm still and, here for and, it. I'm still here for it. Okay. As long as you're here for the pedantical, technical parts of things. pedantical means technical and scientist. I mean, pedantic just means I'm being so exacting yeah, about. Yeah, exactly perfect. Yeah, exactly it. perfect. I'm not going to let you get away with an exception. Got it. All right. So... There are snakes that may be th- that may use constriction as part of how they kill stuff. But some of these snakes may also be what's called rear fanged, where rather than having some fancy front teeth that ha- that actually have ducts that connect to a big venom gland, which is like our salivary gland. Venom is just modified saliva, mm. essentially, is the best way to think about it, that can kill stuff. Um, and you can think about, like, your own saliva starts digestion before you even swallow, right? It starts breaking down carbohydrates, like, as you chew the saliva into food, snake venom does the same thing. It's actually pre-digesting a lot of what they eat. And since they swallow things whole and they don't chew it up, they need all the help they can get. So there are snakes that use constriction as their main method of killing stuff. But some of those snakes that use constriction may also have a little bit of bigger teeth in the back of their mouth. And they don't have a duct that connects to a venom gland, but their saliva may have some toxins in it that they can kind of chew into what it is they're eating. Oh, and those and so and there's that like a more like, molar tooth? Well Are they are they, they things they're, in the back? They're all, all their teeth kind of look the same. They're they're all kind of recurved backwards so that when they grab onto something, it only goes one direction back. Okay, okay, okay. So the teeth in the back, they are kind of like fangs, but they're on the sides. Yeah, and they're they're big and they have a little bit of a groove in them sometimes to help the saliva kind of get into what it is. But it's not like a – you could think of a lapids and vipers as having these syringe-like teeth. It's like injecting a, yes. a shot into you of venom. And there's just like two in the front. And there's two in the front. Although sometimes the extra ones, just like shark teeth, right, they've got extras ready for when they get broken. Oh, can, right like, behind it? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but some vipers like have those more built in, and other ones like might not. It depends yeah, on, like, it the just species. depends. It just depends on the individual, really. So there's constrictors. So Is there's there any constrictors. Other kind? I mean, there's snakes that just bite stuff and swallow it. Like they just see something they're going to eat and they overpower it through sheer force. And, and they just, don't. And they aren't poisonous. No, they just bite it to they death. Just, well, they just swallow. They just grab it and start eating it. Like, who are those? So, indigo snakes, they they don't use constriction in the traditional sense. Oh, God, sense. Jesus Christ, Julie, fuck off. Oh, no. um, I love Julie so much. She really wants a break, but I'm really into these fucking snakes. We're going to take a really quick break. All right. Well, really quick break. We'll be back with more getting curious right after right. this. All right. All right. 
Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. Honey, we're talking snakes. We're talking yes. all the snakes. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so <laughs> Dr. Su- Dr. Sarah Ruan, um, uh, Ruan, yeah. Dr. Sarah Ruan, um, but Dr. Sarah. Uh, yeah. You just per- call me Sarah. Yes, per- per- professor of herpetology at Rutgers University. Uh, so there's a concern. So indigo snakes. Yeah, so indigo snakes are a snake that is not necessarily what you think of as a traditional constrictor. It doesn't grab something, wrap every piece of its body around it and squeeze it to death. But it grabs something and it sort of like pushes it up against something and kind of mushes it into, let's say, a rock or a, tr- a log that's on the ground. Mashes it up in there to kind of kind of do quasi-constriction, but also then just gets it oriented so that it can get it by the head and just start swallowing it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What's another one like that? Oh, there's a lot of snakes like that. So uh, racers, black racers, which we have in New York, in New Jersey, in the Northeast in general. Those guys are these very visual, alert, looking at everything, and they eat anything that they can overpower. I was just on a trip where um, we had one that had been hit by a car. No! I mean, that's like one of the number one ways I actually collect snakes is I pick up roadkill. And it was alive, samples. or no? I mean, some mm, sometimes they're not totally dead, which sucks, right? Put them out of their misery. So you do DNA samples. I do a lot of DNA sampling, and and dead snakes on the road are a great way to get DNA samples. And I always think of it as, you know what? These things are living on in science, even though they they met an untimely death on the road. And what do DNA samples from the snakes do for you? So for me, what I really specialize in is how snakes are related to each other. And we can t- figure out a lot about that based on their DNA sequences. Wow. <laughs> so you went to school and became a, a, a doctor for snakes. Yeah. And then you, after school, was it seven years or something? Like, yeah, still, it was, it was, Jesus. It was, it was, Your I, undergrad was in, like, biology or my something? My undergrad was in biology. I did a master's degree. I worked on turtles for my master's, not snakes. Um, and then I did a PhD, and that was five and a half years. Jesus. I was in school until I was 30. Wow. Yeah. So, but, so and then what was your first job out of school? Ah, so the first thing, a lot of times, so if you want sort of an academic career, you want to be a professor, you want to be a curator in a museum, a lot of times what you do is what's called a postdoc position where you do more training in whatever it is you kind of specialize in, but with somebody else, maybe a different technique, maybe a different group of organisms, whatever. Um, I did a postdoc at the American Museum of Natural History right here in New York. So in, in my growing up in, in middle school, I moved to New York City, so I'm Lived in New York for a very long time as well. Um, But I did a postdoc at the American Museum of Natural History and worked on snakes from Madagascar during that time. What you did? Yeah. What were those like? They're crazy. They're Cause the best Madagascar, snakes. Because Madagascar, Madagascar is that is little awesome. island off the bottom right hand side of Africa, yep. right? And in the day, didn't she used to be a part of Africa? Can you yep. almost tell where it used to yep. fit in? Yep. You can. You can if you cut out in Madagascar. Was that earthquakes can, or something? Why just, did it do just that? It's just continental drift. God, that it fucking Pangea. <laughs> it's a fucking Pangea. So what, what are the snakes in Madagascar like that are different than mainland Africa? Because of Is there any differences? Yeah, so, I mean, the really cool thing about the Malagasy snakes is that what happens is you get one individual species. I don't know how many representatives, but Madagascar breaks off completely from India. So India, Madagascar was connected to India as India broke away, and then India breaks away fully. So we start Africa, Madagascar, India. India, Madagascar, breakaway. India keeps on going. Madagascar just stays. Yeah, it just sticks in the middle between the two. So that's about 70 million years ago. So a really fucking long time ago. Yeah. Um, 
And then what happens is somewhere there's no there's no there's a couple of snakes on Madagascar. There's some boas and there's these things called worm snakes or blind snakes, which are really rinky dink. You would think they were an earthworm when you saw them. I mean, they're real snakes. They're not my my area of because they're just super... more single organismy snakes or something like not as smart. They don't have eyes. They're not as smart. <laughs> they don't seem as smart. That's for sure. They eat uh, a lot of them. Feed on termites and ant pupa and really. Not that exciting. So yeah. They can't open their mouths really big either. Um, so some African snake or a group of them ends up getting to Madagascar through, you know, there's there's some sort of monsoon or hurricane or tornado, whatever kind of climatic event you want to call it, a weather event. And a big bunch of things get blown out to Madagascar. The currents are right. And this group of snakes gets there and there's nobody there to compete with them. So now it's a free-for-all for these snakes. And maybe this is 30 or 40 million years ago this happens. And these snakes just – they can fill every single ecological niche that's available because no one else is doing it the way a snake would do it, right? So these snakes just go crazy. They go crazy. And now all the snakes there – there's all these snakes. They're not found anywhere else in the world. And they fill every Did single – Do they kill all the birds and stuff? No, because they, they, they've co-evolved with the birds there. So the birds have plenty of smart ways to avoid the snakes. It's, it's in balance with respect to the birds that are there. And most of, the, most of the snakes there are really not necessarily – a few of them would take a bird given the chance. But a lot of them are real lizard eaters, which is funny because I told you snakes are just fancy lizards, right? So, but so they a have little no cannibally. Problem. A little bit. Some snakes will even eat their own species. Oh, I feel like I've seen that. Yeah, they don't care. So – so after you did that, you did that at the at the so I did university that for, here. Yeah, I did that for three years at the American Museum of Natural History, and then I did um, less than a year at Louisiana State University's Museum of Natural Sciences down in Baton Rouge. So I spent a year living in Louisiana, which was awesome. Um, but I was only there for about three months when I got hired at Rutgers. Oh, got it. So then you came yeah. back to Rutgers. So then I came back to Rutgers, and now I live in New Jersey. And now what you've been studying since you've been at Rutgers is, is the whole time been studying about how uh, snakes are related? Yeah, pretty much. And, and there's a lot of, of uh, variations on that. So I look sometimes at populations and how populations are related to each other and the gene flow between different populations. And what does that mean in the grander scheme? What's that an example of? Like, is that like how good cottonmouths in Western New York breed with like whatever so-and-sos? Yeah, so let's say, for example, one of the projects that I'm working on right now is in the the New Jersey Pine Barrens, which is southern New Jersey. It's this remnant pine forest that's got all this sandy soil associated with it. And it really looks like what you would see in the southeastern United States. But it's this remnant pine forest, and it's really disconnected from other habitat like that. And so because it's disconnected— you get all these snakes and other animals that are really southeastern animals, but they're in New Jersey. They're in southern New Jersey. All these really cool snakes, pine snakes, uh, scarlet snakes, all, the, all these different snakes that if you like snakes, this is really primo stuff. And so what I'm interested in knowing with that particular project is what's the connectivity for gene flow with these other populations that are further south when there's no place for them to live in between? Is there any possibility or are these populations so isolated that that's it, right? You got to maintain that those populations, maintain that genetic diversity or that's it for the New Jersey snake. So that's one of the projects I'm working so on. So what right did you fi- what have you found so well, far? Well, I just sent out the DNA samples last week. So I Oh my god, so we're going to have to find out on you'll the Twitter out, later. You, I'll find, you, I will put it on my Twitter 100%. 
So, okay. So then w- India was the first place where you said it's, and it's the, um, you said that it was the Russell Vipers and the Cobras. Yes. So, yes. And so really like there's probably projects in India about like getting uh, anti-venom on yep. those snakes. Yep. And there is anti-venom available. It just, can you get to the hospital? Is it actually available when you get there, right? Because are both of those going to kill you? Cobra, maybe not, but the Black Russell, both yes. The, but the, the Russell Viper or and Russell's. the Cobra, both of them could cause a death. If Does it rest- depend on where it bites you? Absolutely. It depends on where. It depends on your age. It depends on your own personal immunity. Not immunity, but just how your body reacts to it. Um, with something like a viper, I mentioned earlier that elapids are called neurotoxic snakes a lot of the time because they shut down your nervous system. Your diaphragm stops being able to pump up and down and you stop breathing. Vipers, a lot of times, and it's not a 100% rule, but vipers a lot of the times cause necrosis which oh, means your tissue just yeah right so although people often die more untreated if you get treated you're in enough time right you go to the hospital in a timely manner and you get treated you're given appropriate anti-venom medic you know you're, you you get things done you're probably going to live and if you do this in the united states you're going to be fine right the united states the people who get bit in the united states are like men between 16 and 50 who are drunk and are like, watch me kill this snake, right? And, and are they rattlesnakes usually in lot, America yeah, in, or cottonmouths? No, it's usually rattlesnakes probably followed by cottonmouths. And um, what's the most poisonous snake in the U.S.? There's a there's a rattlesnake in the southwest called the Mojave rattlesnake, and it tends to have certain populations. So this is why looking at populations are so important. There's certain populations that have a special cocktail of venoms that are a little bit more toxic and a little bit more potent on people than other populations. And so getting bit by one of these Mojave rattlesnakes are those in New Mexico, Arizona? So New Mexico, Arizona, yeah, exactly. And those those Mojave rattlesnakes have yeah. a more potent cocktail than, than the same neighbors. Moha- yep. And those are also Mojave rattlesnakes. Yeah. Yep. So that just happened from like from evolution, baby. Right? Wow. It's all evolution, right? So there's something going on in those populations. It could be two it, let's say it could be two things. It could be whatever it is the snakes eat in those in those particular places, resp- you know, they're venom the rats a, in yeah. the rats in New Mexico maybe right. responded with their spit. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Or it could just be random and it doesn't cause a problem and it just runs away, right? It just becomes kind of this, oh, well, we had a mutation and it's not bad. In fact, it's sort of good. And so, for the snake. Th- yeah, for the snake. Yeah. So it sticks around. But it could be in response to what they're eating gets more and more immunity to the venom. So the snake is over many generations is being selected for with respect to having more and more potent venom. And it's oh. this evolutionary arms race between the predator and the prey. Okay, so where else is there like big interactions between like unwanted snake bites? Like, and like, so there's India, India's number one. India's a big one. India's number one. There's maybe 10,000 deaths a year in India, wow. is one of the estimates I've seen. Um, and certainly over maybe 100,000 bites from venomous snakes. Another place is just the generally Latin America can be, can be bad news. There's, um, Things like fertilances, which I would call bothrops because that's the genus and that's how I talk as a scientist. But there's a there's that's a, another type. Yeah, that's another kind. It's a pit viper. So we we're talking about vi- the Russell's viper, you know, it, over in India. But now we're talking about pit vipers in the Americas. There's this snake called bothrops. They're called fertilances. Um, these guys, they can get pretty big. 
And if you get bit by one and you don't go to the hospital, like, that's pretty bad news. And in a lot of places, you're in super rural areas. Not every place is developed the way the U.S. is. There may not be hospitals that are within the distance you need it to be in order to get effective treatment. They may not have what you need. And in some places, people use a lot of folklore when it comes to how to deal with stuff. And unfortunately, you know, that doesn't always... that. If it doesn't do anything, it doesn't do anything, right? You're not going to survive from it. Uh, A lot of sub-Saharan Africa is another place where particularly um, there's a – every place – I'll tell you this. Every place that snake bites are a problem are places that have two things in common. They have both elapids and vipers present in pretty high – diversity and densities. So you've got things like cobras and vipers, both in the same place. And it tends to be countries that don't have really good medical care. And those two things combined are where people end up dying. I have so many questions and Julie's holding on <laughs> that break thing. So we're just going to take two seconds. Go ahead. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness, Dr. Sarah Ruan, herpetologist extraordinaire. So um, also, okay, so what are the snakes in Africa? So snakes in Africa that are of note are there are um, puff adders, which are another kind of viper. Um, There's a couple – a handful of different kinds of cobras off the top of my head. I don't know if there's as many as 10, but there's a decent number of cobras. Is there a king cobra in Africa too? No. So king cobras are found really only in Asia, Southeast Asia. They don't get into Africa. And then, But then there's just like other cobras in Africa. But there's all these other cobras. There's cobras all the way from Africa into the Philippines. And are water moccasins and cottonmouths the same thing? They sure are. A lot of times people think that every water snake they see in the United States is some cottonmouth or water moccasin. They only go as far north as, like, southern Virginia. You don't get them this far north. I got into a fight at a friend's baby shower with her but father about it. But they come up in the Mississippi, it. don't they? I mean, they're along the Mississippi River. Because I feel like we had them growing – because I'm from, like, rural, like, Quincy like or Quincy, Illinois. It's, like, five hours southwest yeah, I mean, of Chicago. You, you, do, you do get them coming up into southern Illinois. Yeah. For so sure. We're, like, west central Illinois. Like, right in the middle yeah. of Illinois, but all the way on the west side. Yeah. I mean, But that's they, six they hours south Illinois. of Chicago. Yeah, they, come up, they come up into Illinois, so – Okay. I'm not going to debate that they're there. So they, but so you think that they're there? The watermark. I mean, I, I, I'd have to really look at a map to tell you for sure. But I mean, yeah, they're probably there. So you see where she yeah, is? Yeah, I like, see exactly. Yeah, no, I mean that that's that's far enough south that I would think that you like would, sometimes, but not like the most extensive. It might not be. That's like you're getting towards more more towards the edge of their range, but. You know, yeah. You could have you, a family you, there. You could have a, a small family of cottonmouths, a nest. That's what people love to tell me about nests of snakes. Oh, oh, but oh, they're they not. They're not a nest. That's just something people say. Okay, wait. So Australia. Yeah. What are they? Isn't there like one that really kills the shit out of people yeah, in Australia? I mean, the thing is, is people and it kills the cows. The thing about Australia is that unlike anywhere else in the world, most of the snakes are venomous. Most everywhere of them else, are. everywhere else, I would tell you, nope. It's a harmless snake. It almost definitely is. In Australia, so Australia is interesting in the same way Madagascar is where this group of snakes gets in there. There's nothing going on with other snakes, and they just diversify like crazy. And the group that got in there happens to be elapids, which is part of that cobra family we talked about. And so Australia is chock full of elapids. There's some pythons. 
But I mean, oh, what kind are pythons? Are pythons those vipers? are constrictors. Oh, they're constrictors. Yeah. Pythons are constrictors. Pythons are constrictors. So there's some pythons, but there's but m- there's lots of elapids. lots and lots and lots and lots and lots. And just like I said earlier, not all venomous snakes are dangerous to people, but pretty much all the snakes there are venomous, even though they're not all that dangerous. But people in Australia, it, is it a black adder that there that really uh, kills the shit out of? There's something called a black snake that's there, Sudacus, That is one that red-bellied black snakes. Because I think that's yeah. the one that killed the guy who we did this episode of Queer Eye in Australia and Yas. Oh my god! And he, he had, the guy got killed. No, he didn't no. get killed, but his cow. He had a cow, a cow and then a dog and a dog. Yeah, I mean, you know, when things are out in the same habitat, sometimes there's these casualties that happen. So Australia, there's like the most maybe poisonous. The the most the most potent venomous snakes are Australia, probably. But not that as many people compared to say India get killed because medical care is very good. People and more people in India probably. There's more. Well, for sure, there's more people. But I think if you were to break it down by bites per person, you're still going to see that Australia is going to have... Because also, Australia, a lot of it, unless you're actually in the outback, is clustered in a lot of cities along the coast, right? Most of the snakes, not all of them, but most of them are not trying to hang out in your suburban backyard. If they can avoid it, they don't want to be there. And all, like I said earlier, snakes, given the chance, just want to get the hell out of your way. Okay, Colorful snakes. Yeah. Is it, what are the most colorful, bright-ass snakes? Like, what would you say is the prettiest? Is it that yellow one that Brittany danced with that one time? Oh, that- so so that was a uh, an albino Burmese python. Um, yeah, they're pretty. You know what? Albino snakes like that, you don't really see them in the wild a whole lot. So I want to only talk about wild-type colorful snakes. In captivity, when you're breeding snakes, it's just like dog breeds, right? You can get all sorts of crazy-looking things going on that you would never see in the wild. Because it would get eaten if it was Because it would in the get wild, eaten because it's obvious, right? Yes. You don't, this does not fit your environment. You're out of luck pretty So fast. that was a white... That was an albino oh, an albino. python. Yeah. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. What, okay, so what other, what is like so really colorful So there's some really cool colorful snakes out there. So there's one in Madagascar that's got, it's black, and it has a yellow venter, which is its belly. And then going down, starting off the top of its head, it's got rows of pink, bright pink, dots going down it, and then they change from pink to blue. Cute. Yeah, they're super, and they're pretty, they're, they're like this big. They are really cute. And then what else? Uh, so then there's these snakes in Southeast Asia called Chrysopelia. They're actually flying snakes. I think I've seen those. Yeah, they glide. jump, from, they tree, jump yes. from tree to tree. They're like a flying squirrel, but in snake form. Right? What color are they? So they're black, and they've got a lot of yellow going on them, too. So this, like, beautiful black and yellow. But even in the U.S., we have, I mean, think about coral snakes, red and red, yellow yes. and black. Red touch yellow, kill a yeah. but red touch black, friend of Jack. Yeah. I just saw in the news this it one only- lady found an actual coral snake. She found, like, this poisonous one. Which are more rare than the non-poisonous one, It's really one, right? rare. So in, in the U.S., coral snakes are really hard to find. They spend most of their time underground or under stuff. And so you almost are always seeing – I have a tattoo on my foot oh. of – this is a king snake, not a yes, coral snake. Because that's red touch black, yeah. friend of Jack. Yep. This is what I worked on for my dissertation for my PhD. So I know a lot about the non-venomous guys. Um these guys are beautiful, and it's very rare to actually see in the U.S. a coral snake. They're really hard to come by. And I'll also just since we're since we're touting this very famous little rhyme, once you go south of the border, don't rely on that because the snakes smart enough, and the way the mimics, the harmless ones, look, 
They look just like the coral snake. They don't oh, follow, really? They don't follow our our nice little rhyme so much. So up here it does, but then yep. in, Mexico, in Mexico you might have a red that touches yellow yep. that will yep. kill a fellow. Yep. Oh, wait, uh, absolutely. Yeah, they, they all, might... all of them. All of them may kill a fellow. It doesn't all matter. Of them all might. of them. All of them start killing. So are there fellas. some that red touch black or poisonous yeah. there? Yeah. yeah they oh, don't that's care. what you're saying. And in the other way around, like both both directions, they don't care. And that just made me have the fucking chill. <laughs> you're never gonna unless you're looking for these things. You're not gonna see. One. I, literally gave me the fucking chills. <laughs> so what about um invasive species? Because you know there's that one, I think Guam got invaded oh, by like those. Oh, brown tree snakes. Yes. Yeah, they're bad news. Yeah, so what's the deal with those? Those brown trees. So brown tree snakes are like eating machines. They are generalist predators. They just eat whatever the hell they can stuff down their throats. They are one of those, as I mentioned earlier, rear fanged snakes. So they got a little action in the back of their mouth. If you let one chew on your hand, which I can't imagine you would let happen, but if you were so inclined to let this snake chew on your hand, you'd get some swelling, some itchiness. You might you might feel something. You're not going to die. At least I don't think you're going to die. Are they making any strides? To, are they going to get so rid they, of them? they sort of, uh, you know what? Because they're really snakes, fucking up the they're birds. They're really fucking up the birds. They are. I mean, in some places you don't even hear birds now because these snakes came and ate them all. And, you know, I love snakes, but I don't want the ones that don't belong where they don't belong Is there any other there. of those going on? I mean, Burmese pythons in Florida are yes. causing some trouble. That one guy shot that one that Burmese python one, in the right? head. It yeah. was like... And that yeah. was basically just people getting pet snakes and letting them go. Yeah, so one of the things I've heard, and it's like a lot of things. All of a sudden, there's all these snakes out there that don't belong there. So I, I've gotten the impression from what people have backtracked that Hurricane Andrew in the early 90s ravaged some places where there were wholesalers of exotic animals, and these things got loose, and that's part of it. And also just irresponsible people letting shit go. Right. That's like, fascinating. It's a combination of the two, probably. Just letting stuff go. And you know what? I I hate to say this, but from my perspective and knowing snakes, I mean, I don't know how you're ever going to eradicate those Burmese pythons out of the Everglades. The ability for the snake to live there and you to find it is not an even Steven sort of deal. Because they're so good at hiding. They're so good at hiding. And snakes are – I spend so much time looking for snakes. And I that's get, what I want to get yeah. to now is their personalities. Oh, like, okay. and how they Like, because where, where have you all studied snakes? So I've studied snakes in the United States a whole bunch. I just got back from Louisiana where I spent two weeks with some colleagues catching snakes like crazy, which was awesome. Um, I've been to Madagascar, Panama. Mexico, Brazil. Um, those have been the main places I've done work. I'm trying to think if there's any place. I've been to most of these countries multiple times, but that's been been sort of my main focus. I've also been to Australia, and I've caught some stuff there, although that was not for a specific trip. So when you go out on these expeditions, or these, yeah. like, do you guys like go out with anti-venom of like the most prominent snakes for that area? So no. So the thing is, is that- Well, girls, should you? Yeah, I mean- <laughs> I would like to have you back. I know. Right? I would love to come back. Um, here's the thing. It's not just like, oh, you got bit, you give it, right? You really do need- the kind of doctor none of us are on these trips to supervise this, right? Like, no, like I have a because you can't just shoot the anti venom in your ass, no, like in your butt cheek no, muscle, no. It has it to be around where the bite it, was. It has, well, I don't, you know what? Honestly, I don't even know where they necessarily give it to you when you. I've never been bit by anything venomous because I'm super careful. Um, when I deal with venomous snakes, I take every, uh, utmost precaution. But the thing is, is you might need how many vials? 
I don't know. I don't know how to monitor that. And you can have really bad reactions that involve its own treatment, right? You can go into anaphylactic shock from antivenom, right? You can have something called serum sickness, which makes your kidneys shut down. You can have all these other bad things happen to you. And a lot of times you need many, many rounds of it. Also, it doesn't stay necessarily stay usable for the amount of time. And I don't know how as a as a non-medical as, as not being a hospital, I don't even know how you would buy it to bring it with you. Oh. Right? It's really expensive. I've heard that if you have to go through a full course of treatment where you need ten to twenty vials, you know, it's like twenty thousand dollars. And that isn't covered under your health insurance ever? I mean, it is if you are if you get bit and you go to the hospital in the U.S. and you have health insurance, but they're not just going to give you the antivenin to take with you for free. Right. It's, yeah. like, it's like, oh, God, I got it, I got it. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. They don't just give it out. So in your experience of, like, of, you know, observing and, like, catching them, like, are some more, like, you know, because, like, I have a cat, Harry Larry. He's not your <laughs> typical cat. He loves people. He loves to be, he has to, like, sleep on your face. He's not into <laughs> hiding. He, like, is not into, like, he's very curious. He loves people. Okay. Is there some cat, or is there some snakes with that are more? Yeah, absolutely. Snakes have different species, have different personalities. Like, I can tell you this. If you pick up a water snake, you catch a water snake. Let's say here in New York State or in New Jersey, it's gonna bite the crap out of you. It is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I get bit by non-venomous snakes non-venomous. all the time. Yeah, so I don't. But care. you bleed a little bit. Oh my fucking god! So <laughs> I mean, so I get bit fucking... by snakes all and the it time. Hisses? No, most snakes don't hiss. That's that's just like for movies. So as it's going to bite you, you yeah. see it draw back, you see its fucking and mouth open. you know open. what? If you're with me or you're me, you hang on to that fucking snake because if you let it go, I will go bananas. Oh, if somebody, if I was out with somebody who let it, got bit and then like threw the thing, I would, Why? I would be living. Why? Because we're doing work. This is my job. You're just throwing it away. I'd go bananas. Oh, so you're like, you better just take the fucking you bite. You just take it. You just take it. You commit, right? The key to catching snakes is you commit. It doesn't matter. If you can get just the last eighth of its tail and you grab that thing, oh, it's going to whip God. around and bite no! them. <laughs> I was at, I was in uh, Belize is another place I forgot I've been to Belize I was in Belize last year and we caught this snake um, sometimes they're called puffing snakes or chicken snakes but they're beautiful they're black with yellow spots all down them and yellow stripes they're called tiger snakes sometimes too because of that I this just one, want you to know that my stomach yeah. hurts right now hearing oh! this story and I'm covered in chills oh, but I want good. No, I've but you're hear good it. but yes. you're good so this thing was nine feet long. And I don't know what my myself and my my colleague Frank Berbring, who I was with, um, he was also my PhD advisor. He and I took this snake. We had caught it. It was going crazy, like trying to bite. Where it. Like, were you? Just like on the side of the road in Belize. In Belize, yeah. And you, were, and you had parked the car. Like we when saw you were a the snake girl. crossing crossing the road. We were in a van. We put the brakes on the van and ran out. And just I just jumped on the snake. Like it and was, it was in a some nine big, foot. It was a nine foot long snake. It was how it, wide. It's like this. And it's black and yellow. Yeah, it's beautiful. Beautiful. And it's morning or night? Uh, it's like 10 a.m. And so you jump out of the car. I jump out of the car. That's, so and this you is called big road sister cruising. straddle it. Like yeah. you big sister straddle it. Yeah, and I, I straddle it. And, and it's slithering like normal. Yeah, it's well, it's trying to get the hell out of there because now it knows, you know, that something's you see up. It, yes. I see it, right? So it's trying to get away. So I was able to grab. I saw it and I jumped onto it because you have to commit, right? Anytime you don't commit, the snake gets away. So you have to commit. You just, it doesn't matter. One time I got like, Tons of crazy scratches all over my face, and people from the villages were coming to look at my face because I looked so insane. And you know, people are like, "You did that for a snake?" They don't. They think it's crazy. You probably you look like you think it's crazy. So anyway, I'm holding the snake, and then the person I'm with and is you're dealing on its head or on its mid. I'm like, 
on its ha- lower half of its body. So it's looking at me and it's just whipping around and trying to bite me in the face. So I'm like covering myself. But I mean, it's just. And you knew the- it wasn't poisonous. Yeah, it's just like it's like recognizing people. Like if you've seen them, you know, you you know what things look like, right? That's not to say people don't occasionally make a mistake, but this is an easy one. So the snake's going crazy. So anyway, at some point we, we put it in pillowcases are one of the tools in my trade. You stuff the snake in a pillowcase. We get it under control. We drive back with it. And so then the next day we're like, all right. Do we, the snakes ever die from stress just from being I've caught? never had it happen. So they're, they're pretty good. You put them in a pillowcase and they just kind of hunker. You know, you Calm don't down. you don't poke them with a stick or I mean, the snakes don't have ears. So you could shout and be noisy and they don't care too much. They feel vibrations. though. Anyway, so we take the snake out and we're thinking, all right, we're going to take we always like to take nice photos of things. So we get the snake out, and I don't know what I was thinking. I said, let's just get this log, and we'll put the log in a spot where if the snake goes off, it we're, it's easy to pick it back up because we still need our DNA sample. So – and we, we want to get the photographs first. So we're taking these photographs, and I put, try and put this thing on this log, and the snake was not – Having it. This snake's personality was feisty and like, I'm not putting up with your bullshit and I don't care that you want to photograph me. And for all I know, you're going to eat me, right? That's what these animals think. They're going to eat them because they cannot fathom that there's another reason you're hassling them. So I put this thing down and it just takes off. So now I grab it, but I only have maybe the last eighth of its body. And the snake's nine feet long and I'm five, two and a half. So the snake just doubles back and is like almost as tall as me and is trying to bite me in the face. And it actually ripped – I've never had this happen. It ripped a hole in my shirt. And the person, my friend Frank, who I'm with, described it as like the scene in the Michael Jackson video where they've got their hands taped together and everyone has a knife and they're just dancing around in a circle. Over yes. It was like that. But did it get you? I mean, it bit me a couple of times. Did but not bleed? in the face. Yeah. Not- and you I mean, bled. It yeah. gouged you? It gouged me, but snakes don't have, you know, you think about this. Snakes open their mouth super big to swallow stuff whole. It means they don't have a lot of muscles that are huge and chompy in their oh. mouth. They don't have a lot of bite force. So when they bite down, it's super weak because they don't chew. They don't chew and they open their mouths real big. So when they bite down, even though their teeth are super sharp like little needles, so you get these little pinpricks, but there's no chomp. There's no I mean I mean a really big snake will Have will you ever gotten bit by a venomous snake? No, I'm Never. Really, I'm really careful. And then in the in the wild, what's the most venomous snake that you've caught? Ooh, so I was in Brazil and we caught this thing called a Bushmaster, which is the biggest venomous snake in the New World. So king cobras are bigger when you go to Asia. But as far as North or South America, these things can get like 14 feet long. And this one was about, I'm going to say it was about eight feet long. And it was massive. Its girth was like as big as my head. It was crazy. And it was so aware and it had this real rugose skin. And What skin? Rugose. So it was real, real bumpy and rough, almost like a crocodile. Why? Sick? It's just the way, Warts? no, that's just the oh. way it is. That's just the way it's skin. It's just like this real Was that hefty. morning night? So it was found, not by me, but one of the people we were with who was walking down this path, had no shoes on, like going to take a shower in some waterfall. And this thing was just coming across the path. And everyone's speaking Portuguese because we're in Brazil. And he just starts going, get the crab, get the crab. And the crab is the stick that has a pincher on the end. It's I would call it a tong. Um, so that you could grab it and move it. And it was, everyone was screaming and going crazy and people are yelling, Bushmaster, Bushmaster. And I was actually wearing a shirt with a Bushmaster on it at the time. Cause I was in Meta. the field. Right? Right? Yeah. So then this thing, I was just, if you got bit by this thing, 
We were about two or three hours on a really terrible road. So the road was so bad that the the door fell off our car at one point because it was so bumpy. Also, we had the door open because we were ready to jump out and catch snakes. And the combination made the door just fucking fall right off. But, uh, yeah, no, this snake was pretty badass. It and was, you got a DNA sample of it? Yeah. Actually, yeah, that snake is actually in a museum in Brazil now. Oh, because it's, li- it's alive. Oh, it, they killed it yeah, then? Yeah. Why? You know, well, sometimes, here's the thing. One of the worst parts of the kind of stuff that I or some of the people I work with do sometimes is sometimes we need things that you can't get from a snake while it's alive. Like, maybe we need to know what it eats. And you got to cut it open to find out. But that's like not an endangered snake, so no, you do it. It's always done under very, very strict guidelines where we're making sure we're not putting any populations in danger. We never, ever, I could say this. Nobody I know who works in biology and does this kind of stuff got into got into the field because that's what they want to do, right? So that's always done under very, very strict guidelines. So what have you found about like snakes like like doing each other? Like, does a viper ever fuck an adder ah. and we get like a cross so, thing? So yeah, so you can get some. First off, for people who keep snakes in captivity as pets and breed them on purpose, you can get all sorts of crazy shit to happen, right? If you're stuck in an aquarium or a sweater box, tends to be how you keep snakes in captivity. If you if you have five hundred snakes, they're not all in five hundred aquariums. They're in a rack of sweater boxes with shavings and a hiding spot and a water bowl that you just pull out of a rack. If you're stuck by yourself in a sweater box for nine months of the year, and then you get in there with some lady snake, right? Like, yeah, no, they're they're gonna make something happen. Whether or not that can be fertile. Depends on the, how closely related the species are. But yeah, sna- snakes in captivity, absolutely, you can get really weird crosses between different species. In the wild, you don't see it as much. Part of that is just because it probably doesn't happen as often. But also, what are the chances that you come across that particular hybrid snake? But it does happen. Because have we you have ever evidence. found one in snakes? Personally, I haven't. But there's several several studies that have found hybrid snakes between these things called bull snakes and fox snakes, um, which are, are related but not super closely related. You also – one of the most interesting things I've seen is – so we talked a little bit about cottonmouths or water moccasins, but there's been some evidence that they can hybridize. But in particular that the male – that occasionally there's, – there's some video of this – of a male cottonmouth – battling they do kind of uh trying to wrestle each other the the boys wrestle each other for access to females or for territory where females live um where you have cottonmouths and copperheads actually wrestling with each other and they're pretty closely related but they're they're pretty different at the same time so it's pretty wild that that's been documented so it does happen it's not the norm but it does happen okay then really quickly like breeding balls yeah. snakes that have live babies snakes that have ah, eggs yeah so some snakes give live birth and some snakes lay eggs uh it tend- is there a viper adler thing ah, there so or- so it, n- Pit vipers in the New World, so in the Americas, all give birth to live young, except for the Bushmaster, which lays eggs. So the Bushmaster lays eggs, but all the other vipers. All the rattlesnakes, the cottonmouths, the copperheads, they all just pop out babies. Live, writhering babies. Yeah, like ready to And do they mate ball? So not all snakes do that. So garter snakes, which also do have live babies, they do those mating balls where they all come out of the same general den site, early spring, even late winter, and they just chase down females, and all the males are trying to mate with her, and a lot of them do mate with her. And that's how anacondas are, too. Uh, Anacondas can have mating balls, too. I've seen some videos that show them doing that as well. 
And then or what that are the- males will fight with each other over access. But you'll see a, a, a pile of anacondas sometimes in videos. Do the elapolids, do are those more egg layers or something? So most elapids lay eggs. Elapids. Yep. Most of them do lay eggs. So it tends to be, it, it, it pops up here or there. In general, this is a real generality, you see more live-bearing, live babies coming out in snakes that live in colder areas. And it's probably because there's not as much time for development in the egg so that they can be ready to go and hibernate in the fall. So a lot of rattlesnakes, a lot of the things you see in the north, in the more northern latitudes tend to be live-bearers. But on the other hand, all kinds of boas give birth to live young, too. Okay, last two things. Yep. Do snakes hibernate? A lot do, of snakes do hibernate. But some don't. But some, if they don't live where they don't have to. But if they live where they do where have to. Where it's colder. Where it's cold, they, they absolutely do. Okay, then last thing. Yeah. What do you do if you see a snake? Like, what do you do if you, yeah. like, if, like, if, if it's I in your house? If I see a snake or, or if you see If I see a snake, no, I chase do. it down. No, if we do. If okay. it's in your house or something. If it's in your house, you should probably, if you... Feel comfortable getting close. Snake's not going to attack you, right? Close the doors well, we to need the it room. Removed. You need it removed. Call call a lo- the um, whatever state you're in. Let's say you're in the United States. Call whatever your state's fish and wildlife is and ask them what you should do. And they will almost certainly send somebody over. You could also call up somebody like me. You look up, you know, New Jersey snakes and my name will come up. Most people who work on snakes or on wildlife are happy to come help when they can. But in particular, I would call your state like New Jersey fish and wildlife dot gov. Like you want the dot gov website and they these people love animals. They're going to come over and do whatever they can to help you out. They don't want people to be scared. And that's who I would call first and foremost is your state's fish and wildlife office. And like don't kill it. And don't kill it. Right. It's almost certainly harmless. And you know what? Even if it's not, you trying to kill it is putting you into contact where you're more likely to get bit. The best thing you could do is, you know, I don't know what it's in your bathroom. Close the door. Put something along the bottom of the door so it doesn't get out and just call somebody on the phone. Don't start fooling around trying to kill it yourself. Because, again, that's a good way for you to get bit. Dr. Sarah Wan, thank you so much. It last 45 seconds are going to kill us to get out of here. Is there anything that you need to say where we can find you? Any more uh, coming up? So you can find me on Twitter at Sarah underscore and underscore snakes. And all I really talk about is snakes and work and things like that. And you can also find me or find my Twitter on my website, sarahruan.com. Great. Thank you so much for coming today, Dr. Ruan. Sarah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And let's go outside and make some content. All right. Awesome. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Dr. Sarah Ruan. You'll find links to her work and socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. We are doing all the follow-ups, all the post-ops, all the pre-ops, all the ops on all the stories. We're following you along. It's our best journalistic stab at integrity with a side of comedy. It's going to be so much fun, so follow along there. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you'd enjoyed our show, introduce a friend. Show your auntie and your uncle how to download podcasts. Show everyone that'll listen. Be annoying about it. It's okay. we got to spread the good word of getting curious, honey. Um... Also, Getting Curious is produced by Cody Ziegler, Emily Bosick, Julie Carrillo, Ray Ellis, and Colin Anderson. Our social media coordinator is Lara Naiman, and our special booking consultant is Mary O'Hara. Thank you so much for everyone that made this possible. We love all of you, and we'll see you next time on Getting Curious. Yeah.